What a joy to be here at Heritage Baptist Church today, and I thank the Lord for uh, what He's doing in this place and how God is working in hearts and lives, changing people for His glory, and uh, that's why we're here. And uh, 20 years ago, when, when this uh, ministry began, uh, who would have thought that uh, uh, this much activity could take place in one single day? And yet uh, God is working here in a marvelous way. Don't get tired of it. Don't get weary of it. You'll uh, take it for granted if you're not careful. And I hope that you'll uh, do your best this week to invite folks to your musical. And I uh, know that uh, they've worked very, very hard and practiced long and, and hard today to prepare for that. And uh, you be praying and inviting and, and asking God to do a great work this coming weekend. These are great days to, to serve the Lord. And I'm glad uh, to be a part of what he's doing here at Heritage Baptist Church. We love your pastor down at, at Lancaster. And, and uh, he's certainly been a friend to our ministry there and uh, serves us in so many different ways as he comes to preach from time to time. And, and uh, we just like having him hang around. If he'd just stay in one spot for a minute, we could actually uh, enjoy it. But uh, he's always moving, always ready to get back and get to work here. And uh, I know that that's, uh, that's what God would have for him. And uh, so thankful for his uh, friendship and fellowship through these years. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 26 tonight as we stand for a couple of verses of scripture, Isaiah and chapter 26. We'll just look at two verses tonight, verses 3 and 4, Isaiah and chapter 26. Verse number 3 of the book of Isaiah in the 26th chapter, the Bible says, Thou keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Trust in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. The thoughts that you entertain as a guest in your mind today will become permanent residence in your actions tomorrow. The thoughts that you entertain as a guest, oh, you're not going to dwell on it. You're not going to stay there long. You're just going to let it kind of pass through. Maybe it's a quick thought of jealousy. Maybe it's a quick thought of bitterness. Maybe a quick thought of pride or lust. You don't intend to keep them. You don't intend to have them sit down and, and fellowship with you. No, no, it's just a, a passing thought. But those thoughts that you and I entertain as a guest today in our mind will become permanent residence in our actions tomorrow. Because as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. I'm glad this isn't possible. But if I could have the men in the back pull up a PowerPoint tonight and we could scroll down on this screen all of your thoughts or my thoughts over the last seven days, I'm glad that's not possible. But if we could... If we could look and read every thought that we've had over this last week, those thoughts would describe who we are. Yeah. 
I might not know your name. I, don't, I might not know where you live. I might not know your background. I might not know a thing about you. But if I read every thought that you've had over the last week, or you read every thought that I've had in the last seven days, it would describe our life. But can I tell you something? Not only would those thoughts be descriptive, they would be prescriptive. They would tell us exactly where you're headed. What's on your mind tonight? Have you ever said, I'm losing my mind? Have you ever thought, I'm at my wit's end? Man, I just can't handle anymore. I think sometimes that at this season of the year, we get so busy and so many things are cranking up as we head toward the holidays and we've got so many things we've got to remember. And if we're not careful, our mind is going a thousand directions, it seems. And sometimes we just can't wait until December 26th or maybe after the new year when we can just kind of have some peace again. God says here, thou keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. What does it mean to have a mind stayed on God? What does it mean to have a stayed mind? I think all of us would like to have peace. We'd all like to have that contentment, that satisfaction, that, that knowledge in our heart and mind that we're, we're right with God, that we're doing things correctly for the Lord so that we can stand before him one day and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. What does it mean to have a stayed mind? I believe three very important essentials in a stayed mind. First of all, I believe a staid mind is a pure mind. It's a pure mind. Now, we live in a world that is impure. We live in a culture that is constantly bombarding us with the impure pollutions of the world. Micah said in Micah chapter 2 and verse 10, Arise ye and depart. This is not your rest. It is polluted. And it'll destroy you with a sore destruction. And I think all of us understand that. We go to the mall shopping or we drive down the road and we see the billboards. We turn on the media and we see the advertisements. And our mind is constantly being bombarded with that which is anti-God, anti-pure. One of the real challenges of our time is to have a pure mind. Now, if that's going to be possible, we've got to take the admonition in Romans chapter 12, where God says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The only way we're going to make our life our time here on earth, a sacrifice that's holy and acceptable and reasonable and profitable for God is if we have a renewed mind. How do we do that? How do we do that? 
How do we have a mind that stays pure? How do we have a mind that's renewed? How do we have a mind that has stayed on God so that we can have this peace, this contentment, this enjoyment of life that God intends for us as a believer? How do we have this pure mind? Well, we're going to have to build a wall. We're going to have to have some border protection. We're going to have to have an immigration policy. You see, there's only two ways something can enter our mind. There's only two crossing places, if you please, into our mind. There are only two gates into our brain. I used to think when I was a youngster in school that the night before the test, if I took the textbook and I placed it under my pillow, And then I laid down and put my head directly above the textbook over the pillow. I was convinced that somehow while I slept through the process of osmosis, that the information in the textbook would diffuse into my brain cells and I could walk into the test the next day and pass. I've tested that theory many times. It doesn't work. There's only two ways. Something enters our brain, and that is through our eyes and through our ears. And folks, we got to get some border patrol. We, we've got to put up some immigration policy here. We've got to put some thoughts under arrest. They are entering our minds illegally. Paul said, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Do you have handcuffs on you? You're going to need them tomorrow. You're going to need them later tonight. You better have some handcuffs. You better be able to put under arrest some thoughts, bring them into captivity. Because through our minds and through our ears come many, many things that enter our mind and pull us away from God. See, Jeremiah said, mine eye affecteth my heart. Now, we often quote that verse in a good context, and it certainly is true in a positive way. It's why we take young people to mission fields. You take a young person to a mission field, their eye affects their heart. You get to a place like the Philippines or China or Korea, you go someplace and you see the vast needs of people for the gospel and your eye affects your heart. You say, I want to do something about that. I, I want to go or I want to give or I want to pray better for missionaries. Our, heart, our eye affects our heart. Well, guess what? It's also true negatively. Our eye affects our heart. It's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 22, the light of the body is the eye. But if the, eye, if the eye be single, the whole body is full of light. But if the eye that is in thee be evil, the whole body is full of darkness. And if the eye that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? That, that's why the, the psalmist, he said, I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. What we see affects where we're going. You remember in the Old Testament, a man by the name of Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew. 
And in Genesis chapter 13, Lot and Abraham, their herdsmen, were at odds. They were in a strife. They were not getting along. And Abraham, being the spiritual man that he was, he recognized that this was not a good testimony. And so he says to Lot, his nephew, you know, this isn't good. We're brothers. We're, we're supposed to be a testimony of, of, of being able to get along. And, and, and our herdsmen are at odds. We need to separate. And Abraham said, Lot, if you want to go to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. If you want to go to the left hand, then I'll go to the right. We need to separate. Now, I used to read that and I think, now, I know that Lot made the wrong choice. Lot went the wrong way. You read on in Genesis, we find Lot living in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's, he's sitting in the gate of the city. His, his life is being corrupted. And I used to think now, okay, I know Lot made the wrong choice there. But what if Lot had made the right choice? Does that mean that Abraham would have ended up in Sodom? Because Abraham said, Lot, if you want to go to the right, I'll go to the left. You want to go to the left, I'll go to the right. But if you read that passage... And you read it just thinking about what it's saying. If you want to get a little further into your study, if you read it with a map in front of you, here's what happened. Abraham said, Lot, if you want to go to the right, I'll go left. If you want to go left, I'll go right. And the Bible says in the next verse, Lot lifted up his eyes. And he saw the well-watered plains of Jordan, that it was well-watered everywhere, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest into Zor. And Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. You know what? He didn't go right or left. He went a whole different direction. But the honest truth is, when I read that passage, I don't read where there was any indication that Lot was a bad man at that point. In other words, I don't see any bad habits in his life. I don't, I don't read anything where Lot was, was wicked in his life in any way. Certainly not like at the end of his life. I mean, at the end of his life, he's up in a cave drunk, committing incest with his daughters. And now he's the father of two boys through his daughters who become leaders of wicked, idolatrous, God-hating nations. So how does Lot go from making a bad decision one day to ending up like that? Have you ever noticed that the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible? Now, in this case, you've got to read a while. Because all that information is in Genesis, and you've got to read all the way to 2 Peter 2. And God finally comments on Lot. And he says in verse 8 of 2 Peter 2, talking about Lot, that righteous man. Whoa, 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 hang on, God. Wait a minute. That righteous man? Well, understand something. The word righteous there refers to his position, not his practice. See, Lot was a believer. If you're saved, you are righteous before God positionally. That happened when you got saved. The moment you got saved, you went from a sinner to a saint. You went from lost to found. I mean, you went from darkness to light. You went from on your way to hell to on your way to heaven. What a wonderful thing. But you know, you can be saved and practically not be righteous. Solomon was wise, but he didn't live very wisely. So Lot was righteous in his position. He was a believer. I believe we're going to meet Lot in heaven. And it says that righteous man, now watch this, dwelling among them, the people of Sodom, in seeing 
and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. See, here's Lot. He's a righteous man. He's a saved man, we would call him today. He knows God, but he gets down to Sodom. He makes a wrong decision. He ends up in Sodom and Gomorrah. He starts seeing what they're seeing. He starts hearing what they're saying, and it takes his heart away from God because he didn't put up a wall in front of his eyes and his ears. I don't think I have to be tearing here too long to help you to understand we're living in some wicked, wicked days. And if we're not careful, those same kinds of thoughts that we allow into our mind are going to take our heart away from God. We must have a pure mind. That's why Paul said, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Think on these things. If we were to scroll down these thoughts over the last week, how many could we call? Well, that's true. That's honest. That one's just. That one's pure. That one's a lovely thought. That one contains virtue. That would be of a good report. That one's praiseworthy. Think on these things. We must have a pure mind. If we're going to have peace, we've got to get our minds stayed upon God. And that includes a pure mind. But secondly, I believe it involves a purposed mind. A purposed mind. We're so easily distracted today. We're so easily duplistic in our mind. Have you ever been reading your Bible and you're reading along and all of a sudden you're thinking about something totally different? Or I'm the only one? You ever been praying and all of a sudden you're praying, you're going through your list, but you're not even thinking about what you're praying? Yep. Yep. You, you ever been out soul winning and you're going door to door, knocking on doors, telling people about the Lord or inviting them to church and yet your mind is on what you got to do when you get home? Yep. It's easy for us to get a duplistic mind and, and not be purposed on the things that, that God would have us be purposed about. And by the way, you see this in the Bible over and over again. You see the disciples. These men were, were men that were following the very Son of God. They were, they were in, in constant communication with the Lord. They're, they're traveling about, and yet the disciples were so often distracted. I mean, in John chapter 4, one of the greatest revivals is going to take place in John chapter 4 in a little town called Samaria. In fact, they're only stopping by there for a moment, but they end up staying two days because of the people that got saved. But all the disciples could think about as they approached that well was, what are we going to eat for lunch? You see, they weren't single in their purpose of being there. They wondered, why are we even here? Why do we go through Samaria? This is, this is an out-of-the-way place. These people, they, they have no, no dealings with the Jews. I mean, what are we doing here? Their mind is distracted, you see. I think about the resurrection. Probably the greatest event recorded in the Bible is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, if there's no resurrection, we might as well close our Bible, walk out the door, and never come back tonight. Because if Christ be not risen, we're yet in our sins. Our preaching is vain. Our faith is vain. We're dead. So the resurrection is probably the greatest event ever recorded in the history of any book. 
And yet at the resurrection, you remember the, the, the women came early to the sepulcher and they see the stone rolled away and the angel says, why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. And boy, these ladies, they take off and they found the disciples and Peter and they said, the Lord is alive. We, we saw the angel, the grave is empty, the stone is rolled away. And the Bible says that Peter and John, as John tells the story, he says that other disciple whom Jesus loved, they ran under the sepulcher. And so they run to the sepulcher, and John, as he records this event, he says, the other disciple whom Jesus loved did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher and stooping down and looking in. Then came Peter and went in unto the sepulcher and saw the linen clothes lying and the napkin which is about his face, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in that other disciple which did outrun Peter. What does being faster than Peter have to do with the resurrection? But twice John tells us, I was faster than Peter. The most important passage in the Bible. And all John's saying about is, I, I just want you to be sure to remember this. I was faster than Peter. And the Holy Spirit allows him to record it. Distracted. How about in that Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus asked them just to pray for an hour? But they were more in tune with sleep than they were with their Savior. We could go to many passages in the Scripture where we see a lack of purpose. I think of the story of Mary and Martha and Martha's cumbered about much serving. And she gets upset. Dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter, therefore, that she help me. Oh, Martha, Martha. Thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. You know, if we're not careful, we can get so distracted by even the good things that we're doing that we lose the objective. I tell our faculty all the time, listen, don't get so sidetracked with your methodology that you forget the objective. I can say, boy, I want to be a great preacher. You know, Jesus was a great preacher, but that wasn't his objective. His objective was changing lives. I can think, boy, I want to teach a great class tomorrow. I want to really, you know, get the kids excited about what they need to learn in the last couple of days of class. I could be a great teacher, but that's not the objective. The objective is to change lives. If we're not careful, we get distracted with all the methodology and all the things around us. Paul said that I may know him. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. In fact, Paul said, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel, the grace of God. I grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin, and I loved uh, field work. I loved getting on a tractor. I loved uh, working in the fields and doing different jobs. And as a kid growing up on that farm, I don't remember learning to drive a tractor. I, I, I don't remember my dad sitting me down and saying, here's how you drive the tractor. It, it's just sort of something that almost comes natural growing up on a farm. I can remember as a little kid sitting in my dad's lap with my hands on the steering wheel thinking I was driving the tractor long before I probably was. 
But I, I, my dad would let me do all kinds of things with those tractors. I especially loved to get them out on the road and wide open, you know, going as fast as I could, probably all about eight miles an hour, you know, down the road. <laughs> we had a little Willis Jeep, an old post office uh, Jeep that we bought that we did a lot of work with, and I was driving that thing all over the place when I was about 10 years old. But there was one thing that my dad would not let me do. My dad would never let me plow a field. The first thing you do in the spring is you plow the field, and it's exciting. I mean, the, the snow is gone, and the, the ground is now ready to be worked up, and boy, the smell of that soil as it's turned over, and the seagulls come flying in to pick up the worms. I mean, it's, it's an exciting time to start that process of, of plowing and sowing, and then the harvest later on, and it's just the start of it all. And, and, and I, used to, I used to bug my dad, Dad, can I plow this field? Can I plow this field? My dad said, no, 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 we'll see, we'll see. And uh, he would always plow, and I'd come along behind and work the field up with a disc or whatever, but he never let me plow. Well, one year I was bugging him, and he said, all right, go hook up the plow. Now I was probably about 13 by this time, and he said, go hook up that plow. Man, that was the most exciting day of my life. I went out there to that shed. I got that tractor. I hooked up that plow, and we went out to a field. And, and uh, it was a field, oh, about 20 acres, and it was fairly square. And my dad, he drove that tractor and that plow down to right in the middle of that field. And he kind of eased out of that seat and he said, now, son, it's really important that you get this first furrow across the field absolutely straight. Because if this first time across the field, if you don't get the first furrow straight, it's going to be off for the rest of the whole field and you're going to get to the end of the field and you're going to have this little pie slice that you won't have anything to know what to do with it and we're not going to be able to plant anything there. So you've got to get this first furrow absolutely straight. He said, how are you going to do that? Have you ever noticed that teenagers can say, I do not know all in one syllable? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He said, jump up in the seat. Well, I jumped up in that tractor seat. He said, now, I'm going to get off the tractor. But he said, I want you to look out over the steering wheel, over the tractor, off in the distance. So I got up in the seat, and I, I sat there, and he said, uh, look out there. Now, what do you see? I said, I don't see anything. He said, look harder. What do you see? Well, I just saw a field, a bunch of old dead corn stalks from the year before, a bunch of trash blowing across the field. I didn't see anything. He said, what do you see? I said, Dad, I don't see anything but a field. He said, look farther. What do you see at the end of the field? I said, well, there's a fence. Good, a fence. He said, uh, do you see a fence post? I said, yes, sir. He said, get your eyes on that fence post. Now, he said, I'm, I'm going to be talking to you, but don't take your eyes off that fence post. Do you understand? Yes, sir. He said, now, without taking your eyes off that fence post, I want you to push that clutch in. Push the clutch in. He said, now, without taking your eyes off that fence post, start the tractor. Start the tractor. He said, now, I want you to put the tractor in gear, but don't take your eyes off that fence post. Yes, sir. Put the tractor in gear. He said, now, with your eyes on that fence post, start moving forward. Don't take your eyes off that fence post. Yes, sir. I eased that clutch out. Tractor started to move. He said, now reach back and trip the plow, but don't take your eyes off the fence post. I reached back for that rope and I, I tripped that plow. He said, you go all the way across that field and don't take your eyes off that fence post. If the dog barks, don't look at him. If birds fly over your head, don't look at him. If the neighbor drives by and honks his horn, don't look at him. Keep your eyes on that fence post. 
Man, I started across that field. And you know what? The dog did bark. The birds did fly over my head. The neighbor drove by twice and honked his horn. <laughs> and I got all the way to the end of that field and I turned that tractor on. My dad was standing in that furrow on the other end and he went like this and he walked back to the barn. And I had a perfectly straight furrow. There's a lot of things barking over here and a lot of things flying over here and there's a lot of horns blaring over here. But folks, we've got to have a purposed mind. We've got to have a mind that stayed on Jesus Christ. We can't look to the right or to the left. We've got to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We've got to set our affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. A stayed mind is a pure mind. A stayed mind is a purpose mind. But then thirdly, notice, a stayed mind is a positive mind. Now, I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. But I'm afraid if we're not careful, we, we can get a very negative view of what's going on. And that negativity, as we look at the world and sometimes we look at our own state of affairs, we look at our problems, we look at our own sinful nature, we look at things and we, we get negative, we get fatalistic. Fatalism will lead to Calvinism. I mean, if, if you start thinking, well, nothing ever happens, nobody ever gets saved, you know what? Eventually you have to find a theology that accommodates your fatalism. And a lot of people today have become Calvinists not because they believe anything theologically. They, they believe nothing can happen today. Nobody ever walks the aisle. Nobody ever gets baptized. Nobody, why even do it? Be careful. We, we've got to have a positive mind. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Well, what happened unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us? Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, with men it may be impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. People can be saved today. People can be baptized today. People can join the church today. People can live for God today. Listen, don't get a, 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 a negativity in your heart and your mind about the things of God. These may be some difficult days. They may be some trying days. There may be some trouble ahead. We don't know, but we still have God. We still have his word. We have the gospel that changes lives. And ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by thy stretched out arm, and there's nothing too hard for thee. A positive mind. As I came to the end of my college years, God was calling me to evangelism. I wasn't called to preach until my junior year in college. And between my junior and senior year, I was serving an internship in a church where I'd served the summer before where God called me to preach. And during that summer, God began to, to nudge me toward evangelism. And I, I was a little bit skeptical about it, to be honest. I had not taken any classes 
There was no major or program at the college where I attended to, to learn about evangelism. There were no graduates that had graduated before me that had gone into evangelism. The president of the college had been an evangelist for 20 years of his ministry, and he talked about it often, and, and it always kind of burned in my heart when he would. But, and we had evangelists come and preach, and I, I felt a connection sometimes with them, men like John R. Rice and, and, and people like that that would come and preach, Lester Roloff and men like that. And I, I, I would think about as Monroe Parker would preach, boy, I, I'd love to be an evangelist. And God began to work in my heart in that direction. But I had some questions. I, I had some fears, obviously. Wasn't really sure what I would do when I got to the end of college. How would I ever get started in something like that? Now, I was dating a young lady who is now my wife, and she had graduated a year and a half before me and was teaching in her home church in Rockford, Illinois, teaching in Christian school. And we would, we would, uh, we would call uh, once a week or so. We didn't live in the age of cell phones. We lived in the age of stamps. <laughs> so a lot of our communication was with letters. I was buying stamps for my mother the other day. She's 90 years old now. She lives with us, and she wanted to send out some Christmas cards. And the post office told me stamps are going up to 70 cents. I thought, no wonder nobody writes a letter anymore. <laughs> but we were communicating, of course, and... and uh, we were talking about getting married and those kinds of things. And one day we were on the phone together and talking about her schedule and different things. And she said, we're having a revival meeting at the church next week. And I said, really? Uh, who's preaching? And she said, Ron Comfort. And oh, boy. I mean, my heart just kind of leaped. I, uh, Ron Comfort was about 10 years older than me. And, and I'd heard him preach many times. He was kind of one of those guys that when I was in college kind of connected with us because he was younger and, and, and would preach and, and uh, had such vitality and he could quote scripture. And, and, and I, just, I just loved Dr. Comfort's preaching. And I, I, my mind immediately began to turn. And I thought, hey, if I could get permission, I could go down there. It's only 90 miles away. I, I could go down there and listen to Dr. Comfort preach and I could see my fiance. I mean, it's a it's a it's a win win, and so I went to the the dean's office and I got a pass and I I drove down there and, and as I was driving down there I thought boy it would sure be good to be able to talk to Doctor Comfort, you know if I could just tell him kind of what's on my heart and and maybe he'd give me some good advice as to what to do when I graduate about evangelism and give me some help and. And uh, so I, I, I'm an introvert by nature. I have to think through everything I'm going to say before I say it. And, and, and I'm thinking all the way down there, all that 90 miles. I wasn't even thinking about my fiance. I was thinking about what, how am I going to go up to Dr. Comfort and just say, I'm an, I want to be an evangelist. I, I never had a preacher sign my Bible. I was scared of them. I thought they'd ask me a hard question or something that I couldn't answer. And so I never, I never talked to preachers when I was in college. And, and, and I, I really didn't know what to do. And I, I prayed and I said, Lord, just I, I want to meet him at least. I want to at least say hello to him. I want to at least tell him who I am and, and that God's calling me to evangelism. And I, I know that he'll, he'll encourage me. I mean, he's an evangelist and, and he'll be happy to hear that. And so I got down to the meeting and Oh, man, I sat in the back. I, I don't remember if I sat with Diane or not. She might have been in a children's service or something. I, I really don't remember anything about the night with her. But I remember sitting there and listening to Dr. Comfort. He preached a marvelous message and gave the invitation, and people came forward. It was just one of those fun services to be a part of. 
And when it was over, the people began to leave and, and I kind of hung toward the back and watched and up front, Dr. Comfort was talking with different people and shaking hands and signing some Bibles and things like that. And finally, the crowd was kind of dissipating a little bit and I slowly kind of made my way down the center aisle to where he was over here on this side. Finally, as the last person left, I, I went up to him and extended my hand and I said, Dr. Comfort, my name is John Getch. And he shook my hand and I said, Dr. Comfort, I'm a senior in Bible college and I believe God's called me to evangelism. And he said, how old are you? I said, I'm 22. He said, God won't use you till you're 30. And he walked out the door. And I thought, what a jerk. <laughs> I drove 180 miles to hear that? Now you're laughing. I wasn't. I was crushed. I, I don't remember if I talked to Diane after the service. I think I did, but I, I remember I could take you to that parking lot, to the parking spot where I got in my car, and I didn't have the energy to start my car. I sat there and I thought, Lord, what was that? And I remember the Lord just kind of, he, I didn't hear his voice. I didn't even Here's non-voice, you know, as people say. But I remember just kind of something kind of came over me and I started that car and I started to drive home and I had a little talk with God and I did most of the talking. And I said, God, I'm not waiting until I'm 30. I respect Dr. Comfort. I have no idea why he said that. He probably is in a bad mood or he probably was hungry. I don't know. But Lord, I'm not waiting until I'm 30. That's ridiculous. I'm not going to sit here for eight years and do nothing. You've called me to evangelism. I'm going. So I did. In fact, I preached a revival on my honeymoon. No, that's not what she said. I don't recommend that. <laughs> when I was about 45 years old, I was preaching a revival and the pastor on Sunday, he said, you know, Brother Getch, Dr. Comfort is here in town. He's preaching at, and he named the church right across town. These churches were sister churches. They had a lot of good fellowship. And he said, Dr. Comfort, I said, he really he is great. It's awesome. He said, I, I talked to the pastor this afternoon and he said, it'd be great if the four of us could get together and play golf one day this week. And I said, that's great. And so he made all the arrangements and I thought, this is my chance. This is my chance. So we're on the golf course later that week. And on one particular hole, Dr. Comfort and I, we hit our ball almost to the exact same spot on the, on the drive, which was a miracle that we were both in the same spot. Normally I was in the trees over here, or the sand over here. So, and we actually were in the fairway together. And, I, and so we had to walk together. And I thought, this is my chance. And as we're walking, I said, Dr. Comfort, do you remember uh, the spring of 1970? 
you were preaching a revival at the Memorial Baptist Church in Rockford, Illinois. He said, I remember that. I said, do you remember I came down one night as a senior from college and we met? He said, I remember that. And I said, I told you I was going to be an evangelist. He said, I remember that. I said, do you remember what you said? <laughs> he said, yes. And he hit his ball and took off. <laughs> when I hit my ball, I was trying to hit him. Three years ago, Dr. Comfort and I were scheduled to preach a men's retreat over here in Sacramento. Dr. Comfort was 77 years old. He's 80 now. 77 years old. And Brother Tim Schmidt, who had arranged this men's meeting, he said, Brother Getch, if you could get here, I, I, uh, it was a Friday and I was going to teach my classes, but he said, if you can get here Early enough, we'd like to have prayer and pastor study before the first service. He said, uh, Dr. Comfort's preaching that first service. You'll preach the second. And we start at 6. And if you could get here about 5.30 or so, we could have some prayer in the back. I thought, you bet, I'll be there. This is my chance. He's 77. He ain't going anywhere. <laughs> so I get to Sacramento and... I go in the church and go in the pastor's office. Here's Pastor Rogers, Brother Schmidt, Evangelist Schmidt, and Dr. Comfort. And we greeted each other, and we had prayer. It was a sweet time. And Brother Schmidt and Pastor Rogers, they had to go out and get some last-minute things ready for the service. So it was just Dr. Comfort and I. He's sitting in this chair, 77 years old. I said, Dr. Comfort, do you remember holding a revival in Rockford, Illinois, at the Memorial Baptist Church in 1970, spring of 1970. He said, yes, sir. I said, do you remember I came down as a senior in college? He said, I remember that. I said, do you remember what you said to me that night? He said, yes. He didn't go anywhere. I said, Doug, why did you say that? And he looked, me, looked at me and he said, John, because I knew if I told you that, you'd do it anyway. But you'd do it not because I said you could do it, but you'd have to rely on him. I said, well, thank you, sir. <laughs> thank you for saying it. Could I say to you tonight, whatever God is telling you to do, just do it. Somebody outside these walls is going to tell you it can't be done. Somebody's going to say you can't build a church in, in, in 2018. You can't win people to Christ in 2019. You can't have revival in these days. Somebody's going to say it can't be done. Just do it. Maybe God will use even the negativity in somebody else to bring a positive mind to you. When you have a mind that stayed on him, a pure mind, a positioned, a purpose mind, a positive mind, you have peace. In the midst of storm, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion in society, oh, how we want to go through this season with peace. But it's going to take a mind that stayed on the Let's bow to pray. Father.